Welcome home. You're listening to the 180 Church Podcast with Dr. Sammy and friends. Dr. Sammy D. Kim is a Harvard-trained ethicist and co-founder of 180 Church NYC. He is a Yale Hastings Scholar at the Yale Interdisciplinary Center for Bioethics and the Hastings Center, where he explores the inequities surrounding health, immigration, and social policies, along with professional burnout. He is also a regular contributor to Christianity Today. For more information, please visit his website at samdkim.com. We're going to practice the rule of life as we go into a time of listening to the word. So we'll be breathing out, exhaling all the anxieties, breathing in the presence of God, and we'll read from this devotion called Jesus Calling. So let's do that right now. Let's exhale. Let's breathe out all the anxieties, every harassment of the enemy, any claim the enemy thinks we have. The authority of Christ, the love of God, the plans of God that are good. Leave outcomes up to me. Follow me wherever I lead without worrying about how it will all turn out. Think of your life as an adventure with me as your guide and companion. Live in the now, concentrating on staying in step with me. When our path leads to a cliff, be willing to climb it with my help. When we come to a resting place, take time to be refreshed in my presence. Enjoy the rhythm of life lived close to me. You already know the ultimate destination of your journey, your entrance into heaven. So keep your focus on the path just before you, leaving outcomes up to me. Amen? Welcome everyone joining us online, if you're away with family and here for special potluck. Thank you for Peeves and 180 Fellowship for hosting us here, where we could kill two birds with one stone. Let's give them a hand and 180 Fellowship here at NYU. Uh, today, as we reflect on what we're, we're thankful for, I wanted to meditate on one of the most profound books that has touched my life personally and millions of others around the world. And uh, this book, uh, if you could put the picture up by Henry Nowlin, it's called The Return of the Prodigal Son. Rembrandt, uh, in 1669, painted an oil painting, part of the collection in St. Petersburg um, in Russia. How many people want to visit Rembrandt's painting, this magnum opus. Uh, I'm going to do a tour. So if you want to join me, raise your hands, and I'll take note. But uh, it's on my bucket list. Uh, but the, the painting depicts the parable of the prodigal son found in Luke 15. And if you carefully look at the oil painting, it's the younger son returning home and being embraced by his father. Now, in many ways, a picture paints is worth more than a thousand words. 
because it shows you in complete compelling um, ways, conveys new meaning that you could have missed. And 80% of the world is tradition of orality. This is how the Jewish tradition learns and educates. It's its primary uh, pedagogy and how it learns and passes information. The Bible was in written and it was told. And so when you revisit this infamous passage in many ways, passage that everyone has heard, you can see things in this painting. And so right now I invite you to look at Ramban's painting and just observe for a moment what you see. Because if you pay attention, like a symphony, like a ma any masterpiece, there are these movements retelling this poignant story Jesus tells to really communicate and culminate in many ways what the good news of the gospel is, what the gospel is to those exhibiting and living in a real world. There are actually three movements to the story of the parable son and the, the prodigal um, son. The first movement is the younger son. This is the most obvious. Then, if you look to the painting to the right, you see the older brother as it introduces these characters. And then clearly the third is the father. Now, what's often drawn attention to is the younger son. We focus on his prodigal life. And prodigal means reckless living by Oxford Dictionary. A reckless form of morality. So in a way, the parable of the prodigal son, first, the first movement introduces, tell someone next to you, wild living. Wild. wild. You know, pastors gone wild, girls gone wild, cultural gone wild. Wild living. The, the older brother later in the second movement says, this, you, you kill the fattened calf for this son of yours. And it doesn't use his name. He says, this son of yours, who spent his money, who squandered our wealth on prostitutes. Augustine talks about that too in many places. He spent his life on wild living. The first movement focuses on what, what I would call immaturity. Tell someone it's you. Immaturity. immaturity. Yeah. Second movement, the older son who protests against this type of living and to be rewarded for this type of, to be embraced and to receive grace for this, he protests. He doesn't want to go into this party. And we call this the second movement from immaturity, we move to piety. Where you do all the right things for the wrong reason. Then the third movement which is the culmination and the surprising challenge most missed in this text is the challenge of becoming the father. We always focus on the prodigal sons, the older brother, 
or the younger. But we forget that the word prodigal has two meanings. One is reckless, spending recklessly. But also, if you look at the Oxford Dictionary, the second meaning is giving recklessly, graciously, exuberantly, scandalously. So it's both taking and also giving. So when you look at the 360 movement, you see immaturity, piety, to maturity. So the parable of the prodigal son is about becoming more, becoming greater, to become like the father. So let me break this down for us for the time we have today. Let's focus on the point of the parable, the lesson of the parable, and then the challenge quickly. So first, let's move down to this text. The point of the parable is what? You can do all the wrong things for the right reasons. Sometimes you can do all the wrong things for the right reasons. Read it with me again. Sometimes what? You can do all the what? Wrong things for the right reasons. So the younger son, the first movement is the younger son introduces the idea of being immature, immaturity. He believes that freedom from his father, independence, this boring suburban life in the Middle East he's living, in this farm, is not freedom. Many of you should know that's why you're here in New York, right? I mean... He thinks freedom and independence and experiencing life viscerally is freedom. But freedom and the idea of autonomy is a necessary, the prerequisite for a flourishing life, for a life of love, to receive and give love. If the father kept his son who believed freedom is independence at the house, it would be a living hell. So what the son wanted it's not bad. He didn't try to get it with all the different wrong ways, what, what sin sort of looks like, but he did it for the right reasons. And that's why if you look at the return of the prodigal son and why a lot of people in the NIV, in the Greek translation, only use the, the prodigal son and not the plural sons is because only one really returns home. One was always living there. But if you look at the text carefully, the older brother never is resolved, right? He, you don't know if he comes in or not. So the return of the prodigal son is only one son. And he could return because he, what, he learns what? Freedom is not independence. Freedom is not what he thought. Freedom is home. Freedom is abundance from the grace of his father. Freedom is not wild living. Wild living actually turns into captivity. Turns from freedom to a heavy burden. For example, put this picture up there. This book sort of culminates my own experience with my own son, who's 16. And this book by Lisa Hall calls The Party. Tell someone next to you, The Party. It's a great title. I hate it. 
it turned into her what? Worst nightmare. So as you know, for our uh, 19th anniversary, my wife and I took our youngest son to Europe. And we asked our older son to go with us to Paris, to Paris, and to London, <laughs> to Luxembourg, to eat the croissant and the baguette. But what did he say? No, Dad. You're not cool like me. All right? I don't know what's cooler than that. Eating croissants in Paris and the jam. But he said no. So we land on the first day in London. And we get a text from a stranger. My wife gets it right before trying to go to sleep. There's some shady things happening in your house. There's like 100 kids in your house right now. My wife was like, oh, I think it's just someone weird texting us, like a wrong text. And I said, yeah, right. There's a party at the house. It's a typical teenager movie. My son has thrown a party, invited 20 friends, put it on TikTok, and now there's 150 people at the house. And, the, and cops have now shown up at the door trying to shut this party down. And I thought about how could I punish this wicked deed of destroying my house? destroying my tables, eating all my food. But then when I heard the story, I didn't punish him at all. Because the punishment was the party itself, it seems. I said, Dad, you don't understand. It got out of control. I had to tell people to stop doing this, stop going on the tables, don't go on the third floor. You cannot bring beer here. This freedom turned to his worst nightmare. And the freedom he so sought turned to this great obligation and a burden. He got rid of us, the parents. And he had this independence and all this freedom as a life as a team, but now he had to become the parent of 100 kids. No, put the, you know, put, put this, don't do that. And he wasn't enjoying himself at all. He said, Dad, it was a, the worst nightmare. I will never do something like this again. Because he had to cooperate with the police officer to get the people out of the house. There were still more people coming into the neighborhood trying to look for this party. Oh, we saw a party on TikTok. Is this the house? He's like, no, get out. And that's the picture of of the younger son's story, this is immaturity, right? You think freedom doesn't have a cost. You think whatever you do, that don't have consequences. And if you look at the text carefully, it says that the younger son came to his senses. After where he saw freedom without what? Constraint and reflection leads to. And in a church, you need this. You need immaturity. You need people coming up drunk and throwing parties and lost and trying all kinds of things in the city. Without the dynamism of the younger son at church, church gets really boring. Because then all you're going to have are older brothers. <laughs> You need immaturity. You need babies crying biologically in the background, interrupting service, because that tension tells you that the whole gospel is inhibiting everyone's real life. 
where they are, where they're placed. Because the gospel is whole life, not just a part of life, a whole life. That's the good news. So the first point is what? The point of the parable, sometimes you can do all the wrong things for the right reasons. But you're learning. It's immaturity. Freedom is not what freedom looks like. There's a cause, and it can lead to what? The very place, the opposite place. It can lead to bondage. That's the first point of the parable. So what's the lesson? Let's put it up on the screen. The lesson is what? You can what? Do all the right things for what? All the wrong reasons. Spungness. And the second movement is piety. When you live primarily in comparison with others. The older brother was fine. There was no protest to his father. There was no rebellion against the father. There was no resistance or stubbornness to his father because he wanted his approval. Long as everyone was joyless, long as no one was having fun, everything was fine. But now, contrast is the mother of clarity. He doesn't feel, he feels jilted. He feels a moral injury when the younger son, who's lived in such scandalous ways, gets a pardon. The older brother is livid. How many older brothers here? Raise your hand if you're an older brother. <laughs> if you're an older brother, you're, you, know, you know what I'm saying. Responsibility is your thing. I'm a younger brother, so I don't understand that. I like to pardon. But, but if you look at this carefully, The older brother is most people who go to church for a long time. You know, we, we say we love grace unless people are getting it. We don't like it anymore. Well, because this is how you know you're not living a life of grace. You count everything. This is how much I'm serving. This is how much you're serving. This, you know, I do this, you do this. I, as long as I'm a little better than you, we're good. I remember about a decade ago, one person came to me and said, do you see those guys after service? They're smoking outside of the entrance hall. And I said, dude, you quit like a year ago. <laughs> he was like, yeah, but this is church. Don't they know this is church? I'm like, did you not know the things you've done in your life? Did anybody come to you and say, stop that? No, but come on. They should have some respect. They should have some respect. I was like, well, are you upset because you quit smoking and you want to do that? He's like, no, no, no. It's just, I think you should have respect. This is a holy place. This is a theater. You quickly forget grace and you become a judge. So, Everybody's miserable, we're serving, and everybody suffers, we're good. Anyone's happy? No. I don't have joy, you don't have joy. That's the Christian life, no joy. <laughs> and this is what, this is what, uh, put this quote up. 
This is what Dallas Willard says about grace. He says that grace is opposed to effort. It's not opposed to, it is opposed to earning. Earning is an attitude. The problem with earning love from God or merit is that when you begin to count all the things you do for God and others, you get an attitude about it. And the attitude removes you far from grace, from the house of God. And it moves you from the people who need God. That's what Henry Nouwen says. Henry Nouwen says, in the very book, The Turn of the Prodigal Son, the further I run away from the place where God dwells, his presence, the less I am able to hear the voice that calls me the beloved. The less I hear the voice, the more entangled I become in the manipulations and power games of the world. One of the great tragedies of American modern Christianity is that people who've received God's grace, the church in many ways sometimes become all about politics. Who says what? Who gets, who gets to say what? I've, I've been part of, what in my own childhood, among three, four church splits. Parents who worship with their hands lifted high that curse each other out every day. And they're upset. There's one split church. There's another, then that church splits too. Divided by divided again. Divided, hating each other. Rage, no forgiveness. Just like the older brother outside of the party. Who wants to exhibit a faith that's joyless? Only Christians that are joyless. So you can do sometimes all the right things for the wrong reasons. Long as other people are not very happy about it. You're happy if they're not happy. That's crazy. That's the older brother. And this passage is not like a sitcom like Full House. You don't have resolution after 30 minutes. Uncle Jesse and the little twins don't come up and everything is made up. The resolution is not fulfilled. There is still tension. You don't know if the older brother comes in or not. But the father reaches out to him. The gospel exhibits where we live. Exhibits the whole gospel, exhibits the whole place where we live. So this is piety. So you see the movement, mature, move from immaturity to piety. So sometimes you experience grace and then it becomes constraint and comparison of others and it becomes religion. So that's the lesson of the parable. And lastly, what's the challenge of the parable? Challenge of the parable is doing all the right things for the right reasons. Right? I mean, we don't always need to do the two, the, less, the point and the lesson. A lot of times, believers for 30 years say, well, I, you know, I had the right heart. At least I had the right intent. Tell people next to you, it's about outcome. Sometimes it's about outcome, right? I mean, we want to change the movement of the gospel and the good news is that not only are you forgiven, so as Dallas Willard said, he's not opposed to effort. Tell someone, effort's good. You're like, oh, yeah, but I, wanna, I don't want to be like the older brother, so I'm going to stay here. 
I'm going to take freedom and keep enjoying freedom, if you know what I mean. I'm going to enjoy freedom forever. So I don't, like the older brother, I'll just be at the father's embrace. No, it doesn't work that way, right? You, you can do all the wrong things for the right reasons, but the whole point of the gospel is to be what? Transformed. God is opposed to earning, but God is not opposed to effort. Effort is important. Look at a marriage, look at relationships, it's commitment. And if you look at this text carefully, the father embraces the son when he returns home from his wild living. No judgment. He's just what? He's in jubilee. The father's heart. So beautiful. And he doesn't yell at his older son. He says, your mindset, your poverty mindset is wrong, son. You could have had any animal you wanted. You could have anything. Everything I have is what? It's yours. It's always been yours. What are you talking about? It was an abstraction in the game playing in the pious mind. Recently, at the last wedding I attended, which is Helen and Sean's wedding. Beautiful. Yeah. Give them a hand. Give them a hand. And um, put this picture up here. Dessert was being served. So I went outside. I saw a whole bunch of people outside vaping. Anytime I come out the door and people are smoking or vaping, for the last, I don't know, decade or so, people always pretend like I don't see it. <laughs> and, and, and people always take a last puff for some reason. And they go, and all the smoke is everywhere. And like, it doesn't exist. This is, what? We're just talking out of here. Just like this photo. People sometimes don't understand that I, in my heart of hearts, I hope that never ends at, at, in our community. I hope that wherever we are in our lives, looking for freedom, grappling with piety, that you know that the Father is always going to come out the door and invite you into the party. And I said, guys, I'm not here for that. I mean, there's dessert, there's donuts, come on. And for all of us here to look at Rembrandt's painting again, the Christian life is not about just returning home to the Heavenly Father. That's where a lot of times that the half picture of the gospel is presented, but the call and the challenge of this parable is becoming the Father. A lot of times, we don't have a picture that's transcending enough for us to be moved by. We go, no, that's not me. No, the prodigal son story is dual. One lives recklessly, one gives recklessly. We've been given recklessly by the Father, and the Father is saying, it's time for you to grow up. It's time for you to do the right things for the right reasons now. So those others who are lost in their piety or immaturity could find me, could be loved by me, could come home.
Let's stand and pray together. Today, I'm going to put the picture of Rembrandt's Return of the Prodigal Son up on the picture. place in your life online and present here at NYU, think that freedom is independence, my question to you would be, where's that freedom leading you? It becomes bankrupt, and the freedom turns into a moral burden and obligation that you never were meant to carry. The Father says, come. Because sin is not but what sin is not what you've done. You don't know, Doc, but you don't know the things I've done in my life. Yeah, but you've done them for the right reasons. No, I know that they're not for the yes. G.K. Chesterton once said that every man knocking at the door of a brothel is looking for God. You're looking for transcendence. I get it. You're looking for ecstasy. You're looking for freedom. Yes. You're just immature. It's not rebellion, it's immaturity. Come home. For those of us who are grappling with this Christian life for over decades and maybe grappling with piety, but moral smugness, counting, stop being a trap. Stop being a bore. Come into the party. Dance with us. Maybe have a drink or two. Loosen up and celebrate what God is doing all around you. And for all of us who are moving and progressing in this movement, for Christians who are maturing, and you don't look at yourself that way, you don't look at the third movement, you don't go, well, I don't know if I could be the father. God's calling you to be the father, to the broken, to the lost, to the hurting. You have to ask yourself, if you're moving into the third movement, which I believe many of you are, who are you waiting for with grief and tension? You're not like trying to step on people's toes, but God has put people in your heart that are far away from home. There should always be a part of our heart that's waiting for those to return home, praying for those to return home, to God to give us opportunity to show his love, to become like the Father. That's maturity, and that's what we're all called to. So I'd like to give you a moment today to reflect on where you might be and where God is calling you to in this movement. From where to where.
we're called to move through and it gives us hope doesn't it so when you experience the tensions in the three movements when there's judgment and gossip and people being mean or you know or being a drag because they're going through the movement of piety you're like I'm not going to believe in Christianity anymore because this is this is not what Jesus is about. Yes, he is. It's exactly what Jesus is. We're inviting people where they exactly are. The tension is supposed to exist. They're going through the second movement. You're like, oh, it's normative. It's ubiquitous in Luke 15. Oh, yeah, right. Thank God for those pious people. Father, I pray they become like you. They move into the third movement. And then when there are people with behavior issues and struggling with life problems and doing stupid things. Tell someone I see you, stupid things. You're, you should say, I can't believe those people. And that'd be the second older brother. You should be like, ah, 
has brought some prodigals. Let it be the Father. Let me have this opportunity to be like a father, to pray for them, to love them, to be thankful that some are coming home. They're coming to their senses. And then when you experience the Father's love from someone else, of whatever struggle you might be going through, we praise the Father and say, Father, thank you for the third one. Thank you for mature believers who can love well. But don't get me wrong, you need all three in the church. Or it will be boring. Because think about it, if you, have, if you don't have the first movement, then all you have is the older brother not coming into the party. No demonstration of grace. But if you have the tension of the older brother outside and the younger son in, there's a party. Is there yet or is not yet? So as we close today, as we close this year out, will you pray with me today that these movements would exist in our church forever together? That the prodigals would come, would recklessly, but then that prodigal one day would give recklessly, love abandoned that the prodigal can experience the love of God. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that joyless believers, suffering, would become like the Father and become joyful in the purpose of loving others well. And this is the good news of the gospel embodied. Will you bow your heads for the benediction today? May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore. All God's people pray. Amen. God bless you. Enjoy the feast prepared for you today.